The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're in the midst of a series titled Ambassadors of Light, and in this series, I've been bringing different guests on the show who are doing great work around the world, helping raise, helping to raise the consciousness of humanity, helping to teach and either through books or lectures or sermons or ministries or better yet by example how to live the life that has been promised by so many spiritual giants through the ages so today we have another spiritual giant on the call with us the reverend dr c william mercer how you doing there reverend mercer i'm doing just fine galen please call me will okay all right will Beautiful, beautiful. Well, obviously, uh, before we get into some of the questions I have for you, and I have a lot of them, um, just to make sure that uh, my audience gets an opportunity to know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, and how did you get involved in New Thought? I came into New Thought uh, at intervals through my adult life. I became far more interested as a, a man entering his 50s than I had been earlier although I had a very early influence in my life, and that is my great-aunt Ruth, who indeed was a divine science minister and sent me in numerous types of materials uh, through the years. New thought always seemed to me to be the place of refuge when difficulties in my life would arise, uh, despite the fact that I officially attended other churches. I would always gravitate back to new thought because it gave me the grounding and the positive relationship with spirit that I sought. And then ultimately, when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, all of the splinters, if you will, of new thought teaching and uh, involvement that I'd had through the years came together. And I suddenly realized through a series of small epiphanies that I was intended to do more uh, in the realm of new thought. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Tell us a little bit about your ministry. I know you're in New York right now. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, my wife, Sadar Corden Mercer, and I have a church here in Manhattan. Uh, it's called the United Divine Freedom Church. She founded it as a church activity a number of years ago. Uh, we've been an active church ministry here in the Harlem community for about the last six years. And we regard ourselves as a teaching church. So we're very much focused on helping people with life skills and with uh, changes in outlook and consciousness that allows them to achieve the greater good that awaits them as a worthy child of God. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Well, I want to ask you some questions about your book. Why did you write the book, President, at the beginning about the early days of New Thought and in particular divine science? Well, there are actually 
two parts to the book, and and they came together quite nicely. The the real impetus for writing the book, um, interestingly, was the fact that I've been called upon on numerous occasions to give uh, an extemporaneous presentation around the founding of New Thought and the role that divine science played in all of that. Uh, and I had done it enough times in front of uh, people who had attended it more than once that they finally insisted that I write it down. Uh, so part of the book was an effort to record that extemporaneous history of new thought in a bit more flavored fashion. And then accompanying that was a really marvelous discovery of a set of complete handwritten notes uh, that were penned by Fanny Brooks James when she first attended the normal class with Melinda Kramer in February of 1890 in Denver. I have never, ever found a set of class notes that were so complete and so thorough in their treatment of the subject that as I began to read them, I realized that they could be transcribed and would be as valuable today as they were in 1890. So we have essentially what is the foundational teaching of divine science presented in this book because This was the first trip that Melinda Kramer ever took outside San Francisco to spread the word of her teaching. So this is quite a wonderful uh, item to have available, and I wrapped it within the history of new thought that I love so much. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to let people know if they want an opportunity to call in and ask you any questions, they can call in to 888 Five five eight six four eight nine eight 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 five five eight six four eight nine. If you have a question in general or specifically about the history of New Thought, or again in particular the Divine Science Movement, which is the first official organization in the New Thought Movement, you know sometimes that's not stated by people, but it's it predates Unity. It definitely predates religious science. Science of Mind, now known as Centers for Spiritual Living. So I think it's important for people to be aware of that, um, of the history. And since you mentioned Melinda Kramer in particular, let me ask you about the relationship between that existed between Emma Curtis Hopkins, who's considered the you know unofficial uh, quote unquote uh, mother of New Thought in a sense almost like a bishop because she trained and ordained so many people, Her the relationship between her and uh, Melinda Kramer. And is it true that, that uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins ordained Melinda Kramer? Well, it's interesting that you raise that question, um, Galen, because the, the fact of the matter, at least as I've been able to discover in the research I've done, is that these were two women who sprouted almost at identical times in different parts of the country. Uh, Melinda Kramer was living out in San Francisco when she experienced her healing in 1885 and began teaching by 1886. Uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins uh, came out of the Mary Baker Eddy uh, First Church of Christ Scientist movement. Uh, She was with Mary Baker Eddy a total of about 20 months before she was summarily discharged by um, Mary Baker Eddy in September of 1885. She reappears in January of 1886 in Chicago with her own uh, metaphysical association. And as a result, there is really no time between the events that would have allowed... um, these two women to have had any sort of relationship at this early stage. They came to know one another later. In fact, Melinda is recorded as having delivered a speech that's presented in my book in Chicago in June of 1891. But uh, these two women were certainly spiritual sisters, and they were among a very strong core of women during this period who were engaging in spiritual study of their own. Uh, But Melinda was not ordained by Emma. 
Uh, Emma is the teacher of teachers, having ordained the Fillmores and Annie Ricks Millets and Jane Yarnell and a, a number of others. Uh, but there's no direct relationship between these two women other than as peers. Yes, and I think that it's important for people to know that because at times people think Emma Curtis Hopkins trained everybody. Mm-hmm. And it were it was people that were doing there were people who were doing work in New Thought without necessarily having full organizations before Emma Curtis Hopkins and before Melinda Kramer because they had to receive source information. You know, mm-hmm. Phineas P. Quimby's students who became who were originally his patients were the people that initially started what we now call the New Thought movement and what we now call Christian Science. So it's important for us to know the history of our own movement. Sometimes people think that, you know, when they hear positive messages, quote unquote, and they hear certain certain messages that are taught by the motivational and inspirational teachers or the secret or whatever, they think people are just making this stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, it wasn't a secret to anyone, any of us when that movie came out, we were like, wow, this is really done. Well, hopefully, hopefully this will, uh, have people look a little deeper into what this teaching is all about. So for us, it wasn't a secret, but it's, it's just kind of funny when people hear some of modern people or will say XYZ minister on TV is new thought because they hear the person using some of our terminology, not really understanding the fundamentals of new thought, what it was built upon, which I think is really important. But, um, since Emma Curtis Hopkins was, wasn't trained, excuse me, didn't train Melinda Kramer, what were the early influences on Mrs. Kramer beyond her Quaker upbringing that she had? I believe that most of the influences that really had bearing on her spiritual growth occurred after she moved to San Francisco in about 1872. Uh, now, the truth is that her medical situation, she was uh, regarded as an invalid uh, during about a 20-year period of her life preceding her move to San Francisco. She was in touch with magnetic healers and all kinds of alternative medical approaches to curing her uh, ailment. But in terms of her spiritual um, awakening, I believe that it occurred almost simultaneously or right after her healing uh, at a point in time when she began to pay attention to what else was happening in San Francisco. San Francisco in those days was a hotbed for alternative Christian thought. Uh, And as a result, Melinda gravitated to a small magazine called The Gnostic, And during the year 1886, uh, after her healing, she was, in fact, a person who was receiving all the correspondence for the magazine. So I know that theosophy, uh, spiritualism, as we would have defined it in those days, and a variety of other alternate approaches to Christian thought were in front of her. And I believe that she leaned most heavily on her Quaker upbringing, but certainly didn't overlook the implications that some of these other religious movements had for the development of her own divine science uh, teaching. Okay, thank you, thank you. Now, this appears to be many women founders in New Thought. What brought so many women forward during this period of time? Well, I think we're dealing with uh, uh, several different factors. Politically, women were becoming more active. Um, this is just prior to the major push for suffrage for the women's vote uh, that occurs in the late 1800s and early 1900s. But I think that this is also a period when women were generally uh, moving away from being under the wing or behind the man in terms of their own learning and their own spiritual exploration. I mean, we have uh, Mary Baker Eddy, who is publishing as early as 1875, following her treatment and work with Phineas Quimby. Uh, And then if you look at the list of people that were involved with um, Mary Baker Eddy, including Emma Curtis Hopkins and her many students, 
it was very heavily a female-oriented movement, not to preclude men by any means, or else we wouldn't be able to talk about Charles Fillmore. But uh, Myrtle Fillmore, uh, others that seemed to be enlightened in the sense that women had an equal capacity to bring forth appropriate spiritual thought, uh, just took off. Uh, And we find some of these people, indeed, including women's movement-type materials in their own publications. Melinda carried advertisements for the National Women's Council. Nona Brooks talked about writing uh, suffrage articles when she was attending Wellesley uh, in the early 1890s. So this was a, a, uh, a time when women generally stepped forward and were so grateful that they stepped forward as they did in the exploration of new thought. Yes, I remember talking with uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Mary Tumkin years ago. God, God bless her on her journey forward. Mm-hmm. And I found a book maybe almost 12 or 13 years ago called or titled Each Mind a Kingdom by Beryl Satter. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Mm-hmm. Or not. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it basically talks about how the New Thought Movement really was the spiritual force behind the women's lib movement and showed examples about, you know, before New Thought, there was no such thing as, you know, a Mary Baker Eddy leading one of the major religions in America, mm-hmm. you know, let alone in the world. You start talking about what people like Melinda Kramer, Nona Brooks, Myrtle Fillmore, Mary Baker Eddy, Emma Curtis Hopkins were doing in the 19th century, early 20th century, and even how they um, helped shape the views of women in sexuality, women in politics, women in spirituality, women in leadership. And it really exposed just how powerful the movement was because it affected things that we really don't know about, even even the New Thought Movement and the Alcoholics Anonymous Movement was originally supported by uh, Emmett Fox material. Yeah, exactly. The the uh, whole 12-step movement came uh, out of the mind of Emmett Fox. Well, you're, you're, you're exactly correct. Uh, women played a remarkably important role, and, and yet it came in fits and starts. Um, and each barrier had to be overcome. Uh, and all of that continued well into the 20th century. Uh, Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is a later example of that very same kind of sense that women bring to a movement and the obstacles that they have to overcome in order to be able to exercise their full talent for the world. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We're getting close to our first break, so I want to remind if uh, the call- listeners if you want to call in and ask uh, Reverend Will a question, please call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. Also want to remind you that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transformed with Reverend Galen McDowell. So please take an opportunity if you're on Facebook to go to the page, like it, share it with others. We want to make sure that we get the message out, share these links and other things on your pages. We really appreciate how you help support this ministry. We also want to let you know and remind you that this show, along with all the shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So if you listen to this show later via podcast or you're listening live now, please make sure you go to unity.fm, click on the donate button, and make sure you support this ministry that is helping transform transform lives. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. 
state of change? A period of transition? Perhaps you simply don't know which way to turn, or you want guidance on taking that next step in your personal or professional life. You can activate the power of yes with Reverend Beverly Melander. As a new thought minister and next step counselor, she knows how to listen to where you are and help you get to where you want to be. With 20 plus years of experience, she offers spiritual counseling and affirmative prayer next step counseling for your personal or professional life, as well as resume writing and editing. To learn more about Beverly's counseling services, visit beverlymelander.net. That's Beverly, M O L A N D E R.net. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. The Reverend Dr. C. William Mercer, as he said, call me Will, is on the line, on the call with us. He is the author of the book, Present at the Beginning, which is about Melinda Kramer, Fanny James, and the study of infinite spirit. On the cover, it reads a story that has waited 125 years to be revealed, which I think is very powerful, very powerful. Reverend Will, next question. What do you think New Thought brings to the religious and spiritual community? To the larger Christian spiritual community? I would say to the Christian and the larger spiritual community. Okay. Um For purposes of Christianity, I believe that New Thought uh, is intended to be a return to Christianity as it was espoused by Jesus. Uh, The years that followed his ascension created the institutionalized church, which moved everyone away from the original principles uh, that Jesus worked with. You know, we're, we're a couple of hundred years past the disciples and the apostles and the church as a uh, almost a government agency, if you will, uh, instituted a variety of uh, ideas essentially to control people. Uh, it is the church that created the concept of heaven and hell as destinations. Uh, it is the church that said you could be healed if you paid a certain amount of money or did a certain amount of penance. And this was not the principle that Jesus approached the world with. Uh, in 1944, and it's in my book, um, Emmett Fox, in fact, wrote an article for the INTA uh, bulletin in those days And he essentially said, we are a back-to-Jesus movement. Uh, We are trying to re-inform Christianity uh, in the fashion that Jesus would have preached. Now, we know that New Thought jargon and New Thought language is very important for almost all Christian churches, and Emmett Fox's books, as well as a number of other New Thought leaders' books, have been on the bookshelves of ministers across the country, almost regardless of religious stripe through the years. In in the larger context of a world religious outlook, I believe that New Thought really 
informs us of the need for us to raise our own consciousness, for us to be aware of the God within ourselves as well as the God that resides within everyone else. And as a result, should change the nature of the conversation between people around the world. It's obviously got a greater foothold in uh, Christianity in our Western civilization, but the ideas that come through new thought are indeed ancient wisdom. And the principles go back to Lao Tse Tung and a variety of other thinkers and religious leaders uh, thousands of years back. This is the latest manifestation of uh, the f- effort to bring increased consciousness, raised consciousness, and a clear sense for what Christianity is supposed to be back before the eyes of the people. Beautiful, beautiful. And you know, when people make statements like bringing the message back to Jesus, I always love to use the statement that I borrow from Eric Butterworth, which is, to paraphrase, we are the we we have the teachings of Jesus, not the teaching about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think the the emphasis matters. What did the, Jesus teach, and what was Jesus about? Did Jesus teach Jesus, or did Jesus teach? These universal principles under the, under the term, the umbrella term, the kingdom of God that helps people understand who they are in God and who God is in them and how they can transform their own experiences. I think that does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, last year at INTA, I don't know if you remember, I, I think you had, you and your wife had left by the time I had spoke and I was teaching some of the statements that uh, we use in the Universal Foundation for Better Living. Uh, I think I used the first four of the nine statements we have, and I called them the promise of new thought because I said, if you really study new thought, the fundamental principles are promises. Mm-hmm. If you get this understanding of this principle, this is the manifestation of that principle. Mm-hmm. And I think it is really important that we get that, that, you know, it's, you know, bringing spiritual healing back to the conversation bringing divine provision back to the conversation, bringing freedom of mind and and true forgiveness back to the conversation. Not that no one in the world was teaching it, but putting it in a system that was truly American. And, and and when I say American, I mean, in the sense of without the religious bells and whistles of culture, Mm -hmm. you know, in other words, I don't have to go dress like this, read like, like that, go visit someone else, learn another language. Literally, if a, a person can study new thought in any language and in any culture and get the fundamental principles without necessarily having to incorporate a culture to learn it. Because I think, I think that's a powerful statement and message that we carry. You don't have to you don't have to pretend to be from India to study new thought. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to pretend that you're whatever you know, ethnic race or cultural background to study universal principles. It's not a part of our package. We don't have the ritual. We don't have the, the quote unquote religious structure that forces people into boxes. We, you know, I call it butt naked God. When you get mm-hmm. past all of the, 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 the rituals and all of the sacraments and all of the jargon, we're dealing with principle divine law, mind action. If we can get that, we have the gist of the teachings. We, we truly are. And, and a, a couple of thoughts occurred to me in that regard. One is that uh, Jesus was the great example. So the term Christ is not a last name. Um, it's, it's a description of the nature of the behavior that Jesus took on in walking the talk. Mm-hmm. So the term Christ could apply to a variety of other religious leaders through the centuries. Uh, it could be Buddha the Christ. Uh, it could be Muhammad the Christ. The point being that these these leaders were the great exemplars of 
the principle and truth of goodness and love that was written down in a specific way for us in the Christian Bible, uh, but existed in almost all cultures. The other aspect of this that I think is important for us to remember is that New Thought became, began essentially as a healing movement, as you've alluded to, which means that the whole concept was moving God closer to us and recognizing that God resides within us and that we have the capacity to bring perfect health, perfect balance, perfect prosperity into our experience uh, as children of God and that we simply need to stand up and demand it. Uh, so we don't engage in prayers of supplication where we're begging and and groveling before our Lord. We speak as Jesus did in the Lord's Prayer in an affirmative fashion that simply affirms the fact that our good is on its way to us. Emma's great line was, uh, there is good for me and I ought to have it. And that lies at the heart of how we approach uh, our relationship with God in new thought. Yes, yes, definitely. So do you think that the early new thought leaders emphasized certain fundamentals that we don't in these days and times of 2015? Well, in in the sense that we had uh, traveled pretty far away from Christian healing in some of the movements, uh, you know, Charles Fillmore and Myrtle were healers and they had healed themselves. And yet by the time the second and third generation picked up in, in unity, there was a reduced amount of emphasis on that that is coming back. Uh, divine science always stayed very close to the Christian healing concept, uh, but it, as a church organization, it became very small. Uh, we are now, although the oldest New Thought denomination, we're also the smallest New Thought denomination. Uh, religious science recognizing that Ernest Holmes started out as a divine science minister in 1918, some eight years before he wrote um, The Science of Mind, also had a very strong approach to healing. But individuals carry that skill, and we can teach it to the extent that we can show people how to embody principle and truth, but it takes their own effort to actually accomplish the embodiment that allows them to then heal themselves and others. And in Christian healing, as an example, what we're really doing is crossing that very large space between our mind and our heart that allows us to know our own perfection and therefore be able to recognize the perfection in others. Yes, definitely, definitely. I'm a big believer in the power of the message. That was actually something else that I mentioned last year in my lesson to INTA. We have to make sure that we don't lose the power of the message. Sometimes the message is is taught so lovingly that the authority is missing. You know, it's sort of like, yes, we understand that we need to, recognize that facts are facts and accept facts as they are, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the power to change them. Exactly. And that was the essence of the early new thought message. You don't have to accept experiences that you feel are below who you are as a child of God. Exactly. That is so important. You know, when we are, Working from the standpoint of really knowing the power of the message, we accept the responsibility of choosing. You know, you, you know. I, I mentioned to someone yesterday, and I don't remember who it was, but anyway, in the midst of a conversation, I said, in the New Thought message, we're not waiting for people to overcome their karma. We're not waiting for people to... Um, you know, to, you know, learn all the things they need to learn or get the degrees on the walls and all of these other things. If you can grasp that you can be free now and exercise your power, you can be free. 
And the the reality is that in being free, they are freed of the dogma that has told them that there was a separation between them and God. Right. That, That there had to be an intermediary available for them to have a relationship with God. When we know in new thought that since God resides within us, our relationship is direct. Uh, and it is complete, and we have to respect what we find in others because they also are expressions of God on earth. Yes, definitely, definitely. So what lessons do you draw from the collegial nature of the relationship among the early New Thought founders? Well, you know, this was a a very interesting um, result in in what I was writing at the time because we had just had a major divine science conference in Phoenix that preceded INTA and you participated in that uh, with us Galen and thank you again for that Uh, but what I found was that room that we occupied in Phoenix brought together people from all of the denominations uh, we had you from UFBL. We had uh, uh, people from Unity, Jamie Sanders and others, uh, Greg Barrett. Uh, we had representatives from Religious Science or Centers for Spiritual Living. And we were all sitting there sharing these concepts that we universally hold to be true. And what it what struck me as I was putting all of this together was how similar that was, that small meeting that we had in Phoenix, to the general nature of the relationships between the founders back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people sat at each other's dining room tables and discussed these ideas. Uh, Melinda Kramer came to Kansas City on her first trip east uh, beyond Denver and is offered teaching rooms by the Fillmore's. Uh, she makes relationships come to uh, life with people who are outside the strict New Thought movement, but who were breakaway Christian scientists who knew that there was more than Mary Baker's Mary Baker Eddy's word to rely on as the the word of truth in in religion. These people did not have any proprietary interest in their own thoughts and materials they freely shared. And I think organizationally as well as uh, spiritually, the New Thought denominations that exist today have every reason in the world to become closer with one another, to create the bridges that allow us to have a united approach to the world that says we may differ on this point or that point, but in principle and in truth, we are united, and we share with one another today, even as we did when our movements were founded. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yet again, we're getting close to a break, and I want to make sure that people have the opportunity to call in if they would like. You can call in to 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. Oh, I just messed that up, 888-558-6489, yes. I thought I messed it up for a moment. When we do come back, I do want to ask you about what does New Thought need to do to promote its message and grow its centers in the 21st century? Because that, because that's a, that answer I'm sure will require at least a couple of minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I think it's important because one of the things that I think we need to be mindful of is people have done it. Uh, they've grown ministries. And, and not that, you know, we measure ministry strictly by the size, because I don't want that to be the conversation. I'm talking about the, the ministries in, in general, but, you know, Reverend Coleman, uh, uh, Reverend Barbara King, uh, uh, you know, Mary Manning Morrissey, or Michael, uh, Reverend Michael Beckwith, uh, uh, I can't remember the guy that used to be in Warren, Michigan, uh, that's Church of Today, Reverend Jack Boland. People have created, not to mention Emmett Fox, large ministries promoting this message. So we know that it's possible. So when we come back, I really want to get your words on how New Thought can promote its message and grow its centers in the 21st century because I really believe the world is waiting for us to step up to the plate. 
with that, we're going to take our last break. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? You've been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I have the Reverend Dr. C. William Mercer as a guest today, and he is about to answer the question, what does New Thought need to do to promote its message and grow its centers in the 21st century? <laughs> well, you know, it's a question that, that uh, has several different responses. Um, the first response I would give is, uh, again, in line with what Emmett Fox said in 1944. And he said that he was uncertain whether New Thought had a permanent residence as a standing denomination within Christian thought or within spirituality, because his real belief was that we were here and new thought was expressed in order to rebuild the Christian church along the lines that Jesus uh, suggested during his time on earth and, and get away from the dogma and the institutionalization that has removed the church from the people. Um, you know, so there's one aspect of thought that says that if we reinform Christianity and we hear Christianity turning back to the pattern that Jesus set for us 2,000 years ago, that might be our role. And you see in certain churches like, uh, and, and forgive me, um, the Joel Osteen activity, for example. Uh, if you view Joel Osteen's sermons as a three-act play, uh, he fills the the church with new thought language at the beginning of the service, and it's not until the third act that the avenging God comes out. Uh, so there's still work to be done to move Christianity fully back to the loving, uh, direct connection with God relationship that we know exists for us. Um, all of that to one side. I believe that our job is not done in that regard and that there is room for our centers and our message to 
uh, continue to grow and to have greater impact uh, each and every year that we move forward. But the emphasis, I believe, has to be on um, reaching the the nerve, if you will, within people that helps them to recognize that they are not alone uh, and that God within them is always their companion and that the life that they choose to live is one that can be directed by God if they can take their hands off the steering wheel, as I often say, mm-hmm. and allow God and allow spirit to move around them and through them for their best good. Uh, that message is one that hits all 100 people in the room, but only about 7 to 20% of the people really hear it and capitalize on it. Many people come into New Thought Churches on Sunday morning to get showered off and cleaned up for the week, and then they'll come back again a week later and get it all over again, not having retained some of what they learned the first time they heard it. But those who really embrace the thought that uh, our God is a God of good and our God is within us and our God helps us manifest all the good that there is for us in life, um, if they embrace that and really not only study it but choose to embody it, they not only change themselves, but they change the world around them. And so our effort has to be on more than one front. I think we want to continue to see as much new thought enter into other Christian and, and other uh, denominations of, of church as, as much as it can. And at the same time, I think we have to continue to beat the drum that makes that message available and desirable by as many people as possible all the time. Yes, definitely, definitely. Thank you for that insightful answer. Before I uh, get to uh, my last question, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about yourself. One is, what's next for you? Is there another book in your pen, for example? (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact, there is. Um, The effort that I went into in researching Melinda Kramer uh, in building this first book uncovered other new material that has not yet been shared or has not been shared in about 110 years. And we have to remember that a couple of things are true today that were not true then. First of all, Melinda Kramer's work was almost entirely destroyed in the aftermath of the San Francisco earthquake in April of 1906. And the thrust of divine science then moved to Denver where the Brooks sisters took over and continued to grow that denomination. But um, there is more material from Melinda that we did not know existed. Uh, In 1894 and 1895, she wrote two segments in her Harmony magazine that we call Record of Myself, which is her own story of her healing. Uh, It is a very carefully edited, carefully worded document because that's the role that she played in her own publication and because she was trying to create a story that was obviously true but that dealt with each and every principle that was important to her because this was going to be in print. She traveled in 1905 to Washington, D.C. and spent about six weeks there working with a man named Oliver Sabin. Sabin was a breakaway Christian scientist who had formed his own reformed Christian science movement. And she was there at his invitation and did much of her teaching and lecturing in his church facility. But she also attended two testimonial meetings. And these were little gatherings where six or eight people would sit around and, as we sometimes do sharing after our church services, it was an effort to have them explore how new thought had and, and uh, principles of Christian science and new thought had impacted their, their daily lives. Where was this, where was the, the evidence for what they had learned and what they had embodied? And Melinda participated in two of those extemporaneous meetings. And she tells her story again. 
uh, but in a little bit different fashion. There's more personality. There's more um, color to the the story that she tells. For example, she says at one point, you know, I've, I've worked very, very hard for, for the last 20 years that I've, since my healing, I've probably worked three times that 20 years in the amount of time I've had available. So she was conscious of how hard she was working. But people had never heard this, never seen this. It was buried in a, a publication called the Washington Newsletter, which was Sabin's house organ. And uh, until I ran across it, I don't think very many people had seen the fact that these meetings and these lectures and, and these uh, evidences of her own belief were available to us. So I, I gathered them up, and this is the follow-up book that allows people to actually hear her voice uh, in a way that we don't from the written word uh, and hear how she felt about where she was, what she was doing, the nature of her uh, circuit preacher uh, activity, which is really how she led this movement, was by traveling around the country and building little church organizations in various cities and then moving on. So it's an exciting process for me. I hope it's as exciting for the readers to get this more fleshed out, more rounded sense for Melinda uh, but I think it'll be uh, fun to have it in front of people in any event. And they're a, they're a good pairing, these two books. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Well, how can people get in contact with you and how can people get your book present at the beginning? There is a website. Um, it's www.presentatthebeginning.com. You can go and order the book directly on the website and also learn a bit more about um people who have already read it, and what their impression of the book is. Uh, you can also reach me by phone if, if desired, and that is at 646-753-2959, and I'd be happy to take care of getting a copy of the book sent to you uh, directly. book is $20. Uh, there are discounts available for volume purchases, and uh, it's very exciting to hear the reaction from people who are are reading it and enjoying it. Yep, definitely. I do want to mention one thing, and we're close to ending time, but I want to mention to people that you actually have a, a traveling wedding business where you take care of everything as far as the wedding is concerned. Can you take maybe 30 to 45 seconds to talk about that? When I moved to New York uh, about six years ago to marry Sadar uh, and to work with her in the church, um, I had a number of skills to bring to bear in New York City, but I was also 58 years old. So I hung out a number of shingles. I hung out my attorney shingle, uh, hung out my mediator shingle, hung out my parent training shingle, and also the fact that I did weddings. Well, weddings in New York City just caught fire. Uh, and I do about 125 to 150 weddings, almost all in Manhattan each year. And the joy for me is being able to work with couples at this front end of their relationship. Uh, when I was a practicing attorney, I was a divorce attorney. And uh, trust me, if you want to have a relationship with couples, have it at the beginning of their relationship and not at the end. Uh, but it's a special blessing to me to be able to work with young people or, or people who are getting married at other ages in life uh, to be sure that they get off to a good start and have the opportunity to sit and chat about their plans if they choose to. And uh, it, it's a great joy and a blessing for me to be able to perform that service for people in addition to the other things I do. Yeah, so when anybody tells you that people aren't getting married anymore, you just heard it from the preacher's mouth. He does 125 weddings a year. <laughs> Marriage is still alive in the United States of America. <laughs> By the way, Galen, when are you coming to New York? I could arrange to do that for you. <laughs> well, I'll come and speak, and we'll take it from there. So, <laughs> so with that, we, we have to wrap it up. It's been an absolute pleasure Give your wife my love. You know, I adore both of you all, and I will take you up on the trip to come and visit and hang out with you all. Uh, New York, 
is a place I've never been and it's on my to-do list. So I will definitely make sure I take time for that trip. Oh, uh, you know, we'd love to see you. Definitely, definitely. So God bless you. And I know that uh, this book will continue to bless people and everything that comes out of your ministry going forward. Uh, with that, we have to wrap up the show for today. God bless you all, all of the listeners of the show, whether you're listening live or via podcast later. God bless you. And we'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you, Things may happen to you, but the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zender every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, 
and motivational speaker. I know that feeling and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.